Then the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants, that I may show these signs of mine among them, and that you may tell in the hearing of your son and of your grandson how I have dealt harshly with the Egyptians, and what signs I have done among them, that you may know that I am the Lord. Uh, So Moses and Aaron went into Pharaoh and said to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go, that they may serve me. For if you refuse to let my people go, behold, tomorrow I will bring locusts into your country, and they shall cover the face of the land so that no one can see the land. And they shall eat what is left to you after the hail, and they shall eat every tree of yours that grows in the field, and they shall fill your houses and the houses of all your servants and of all the Egyptians, as neither your fathers nor your grandfathers have seen from the day they came on earth to this day. And then he turned and went out from Pharaoh. Then Pharaoh's servants said to him, How long shall this man be a snare to us? Let the men go, that they may serve the Lord their God. Do you not yet understand that Egypt is ruined? So Moses and Aaron were brought back to Pharaoh. And he said to them, Go, serve the Lord your God. But which ones are to go? Moses said, We will go with our young and our old. We will go with our sons and daughters and with our flocks and herds. For we must hold a feast to the Lord. But he said to them, The Lord be with you. If I ever let you and your little ones go, look, you have some evil purpose in mind. No, go go the men among you and serve the Lord, for that is what you are asking. And they were driven out from Pharaoh's presence. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the land of Egypt for the locusts, so that they may come upon the land of Egypt and eat every plant in the land, all that the hail has left. So Moses stretched out his staff over the land of Egypt And the Lord brought an east wind upon the land all that day and all that night. When it was morning, the east wind had brought the locusts. The locusts came up over all the land of Egypt and settled on the whole country of Egypt. Such a dense swarm of locusts as had never been before, nor ever will be again. They covered the face of the whole land so that the land was darkened and they ate all the plants in the land and all the fruit of the trees that the hail had left. Not a green thing remained, neither tree nor plant of the field through all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh hastily called Moses and Aaron and said, I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. Now, therefore, forgive my sin, please, only this once, and plead with the Lord your God only to remove this death from me. So he went out from Pharaoh and pleaded with the Lord. And the Lord turned the wind into a very strong west wind, which lifted the locusts and drove them into the Red Sea. Not a single locust was left in all the country of Egypt. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the people of Israel go. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, a darkness to be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven, and there was the pitch darkness in all the land of Egypt three days. They did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. But all the people of Israel had light where they lived." Then Pharaoh called Moses and said, Go, serve the Lord. Your little ones also may go with you. Only let your flocks and herds remain behind. But Moses said, You must also let us have sacrifices and burnt offerings that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Our livestock also must go with us. Not a hoof shall be left behind, for we must take of them to serve the Lord our God. And we do not know with what we must serve the Lord until we arrive there. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let them go. Then Pharaoh said to him, Get away from me. Take care 
never to see my face again. For on the day you see my face, you shall die. Moses said, as you say, I will not see your face again. This is God's word. Amen. You may be seated. We're excited to have you worshiping with us. And uh, I just want to tip my hat to all the parents that had their children standing through those 29 verses. Good job, parents. You kept them in line. <laughs> Let us pray. Father, we do indeed thank you for this time. Would you allow us to let our minds be calmed, that our attention be solely on you, that your spirit uh, use me and guide my words. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And if you need a Bible, uh, please raise your hand. Please raise your hand and uh, one of our people will get a Bible to you. Uh, we always want to encourage newcomers that uh, in service, um, and let me know if I need to grab the handheld, guys. But in service, uh, we have a time where we are celebrating what God teaches. We're getting into the scripture. So we want you to base what we're saying on what God's word says. But if it is uh, a question that comes to mind that you think will help us understand the text more, then we want to invite you to ask it even during this time. Uh, but if you have a question that you think is personal, that would be for your own benefit, then please see me after service, and I would love to, to answer that question if I can. So I got a question for you. Many of you have been out eating. Maybe you've been over to a friend's house, and sometimes you sat down somewhere at a table, and that table wobbles just a little bit. Might be a little dip in the floor, you know, might be one leg is a little shorter than the other, but that, that little wobble from the table can just be annoying. I mean, when you're at a place and what you're trying to do is enjoy a meal or enjoy a conversation and every two minutes you worry about your water tipping over, something like stability is just real important. Stability. It's a... Uh, it's one of those things, having, having a stable experience helps contribute to our enjoyment. Stability is something that can give us a sense of, a sense of comfort or a sense of peace. Take your job, for instance. Let's say your job, uh, you can pretty much guess that when you go to work, you'll get paid. But if tomorrow your job starts randomly letting people go and the word comes out that the, that the company is going to be downsizing, that stability can cause some, some stress. I mean, a lack of stability can, can bring forth anxiety and worry within you that, that is un, unparalleled, that can't match other things. I mean, even think of stability within your relationships. Maybe you have some friends that aren't perfect. I got a couple friends that uh, actually, the instability of, of our friendship is just stressful. You know, on Monday, they come by and they're willing to help me. On Tuesday, they argue with me because they helped me. On Wednesday, they're telling our friends about how much they hated helping me. On Thursday, they want to help me again. You know, the instability of that relationship is just a, can be a stress. Family, stability is something that, that is uh, likely to not change. Stability is something that is likely to not fail. God's going to take some things, some things that are extremely stable within the society of the Egyptians, and he's going to use them to bring his name glory. He's going to take what is stable, 
and actually make it unstable so that the Egyptians will know one thing, that he alone is God. But let us not check out because of a message for the Egyptians, because I believe the Lord gives us these scriptures so that they will speak to our hearts as well. If you will join us, we're in chapter 10 of Exodus, and we've been going through Exodus for some time now. So if it's your first time with us, jump on iTunes and, 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 and get caught up. But we're in Exodus chapter 10, and verse 1 says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the hearts of his servants, that I may show these signs of mine among them, and that you may tell in the hearing of your son and of your grandson how I've dealt harshly with the Egyptians and what signs I've done among them, that you may know that I am the what? Lord. Lord. You see, the, the, the goal, one of the goals of this entire story is that the people of God will remember that their God is mighty. Their God is powerful. And so the expectation of the people is that this experience is going to be told from generation to generation to generation. If I asked you today, what, what would be a story that you would pass down to your children, to your children's children, about how good God is, what answer would you give me? About how powerful God is, what answer would you give me? This this example here is saying that for every believer who in Christ has been united, Jew and Gentile are now one, we all can use the story of God and the plagues as one of our stories to talk about how good he is. But let's make it personal. Do you personally have some stories that you can tell your children about how amazing and powerful this God is? I mean, one of my stories is the connecting of my wife and I. My children don't understand college and that our lives are going two totally separate ways. And the Lord like just allowed our paths to cross at a time where both of our hearts were pliable and she was hunting me down and wanted to get with me. Oh, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> that's, 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 not, that's not part of the story, my fault. You know, but, but, but I hope when they, when they are able to understand it that I'll be able to tell them, there's no way I should have been with your mom. There's no way your mom should have been with me. God aligned our lives to intersect in a way that we see was totally him. This, this past November, I remember coming home after we had the accident. And the next day, my wife says, you know what? I think I want to take a picture of that car. I want to take a picture of the car in its wrecked form and put it up on our wall to remind us of God saving you and caring for you and protecting you. I thought she was crazy. The the last thing I wanted to think about was like how that my life potentially was lost like that. I, I, I was associating with the fear. No. This is something that our kids need to know, that God protects us when we walk out the door, when we drive in cars, and during this incident, he protected us. What's your stories? What are your kids going to say? Man, I'm not just joining into this thing fresh. There's a lineage of God doing mighty works, and mom and dad have examples that I can hold on to. What's some of those stories that you're going to tell from generation to generation? But then we jump to verse three. So Moses and Aaron went into Pharaoh and said to him, thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, how long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go 
that they may serve me. For if you refuse to let my people go, behold, tomorrow I will bring locusts into the country and they shall cover the face of the land so that no one, no one can see the land. You know, God shows us that that he is hardening Pharaoh's heart. He's hardening his heart so that the world will know, but specifically Pharaoh know that God is God alone. But just because he's hardening Pharaoh's heart doesn't mean Pharaoh is absolved from responsibility. Okay? Doesn't mean that Pharaoh is resolved from responsibility. Have have you ever had a friend that uh, that made poor decisions? Have you had a person that made poor decisions and then they come to you for advice? They come to you and ask him, what should I do? Now, the first time they come to you, you say, okay, you should do this. Then they go out, do something different, and come back to you again. Oh, this is my situation. Can you tell me what I should do? Okay. I'm going to tell you what I just told you. Again. Tell them again. Boom. They go out and do the same thing and come back to you again. Oh, I, I didn't listen to you. This is my situation. What should I do? At some point, you get to the point, even as a good friend, you can be a sibling, you can be a parent, you can be whatever. You get to the point where you say, look, you're just not listening to me. I've told you what to do, so now I'm done, okay? Unless you're going to make a change, (laughs) don't come back to me asking again because I've told you three, four, five, 58 times. You see, this is what happened, what's happening with God and Pharaoh. Pharaoh's heart was already hardened, okay? He was already enslaving the people of God, already had a heart that was rejecting who God was and said, no, I myself am a God. People of Egypt, you shall worship me. And so because he was willing to have this hardened heart, the Lord gave him over to his heart of sin. And so Pharaoh here, God is saying, How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Don't you get it? Didn't didn't the first eight plagues waken you up? What do I have to do to create a humble heart within you? We're going to see. One of the things that he does is he brings forth the locusts. And uh, where are my kids in the room? I try to always engage them at least for one moment. But the the heat is on and half my kids are asleep. Okay. Kids in the room, have you guys ever seen a grasshopper? Yes. Do grasshoppers hurt you? (laughs) No, they don't. No. Locusts are the same. Locusts are cousins of the grasshoppers, but what locusts do is they eat, and they eat, and they eat everything, and they devour entire nations. And why does that matter? It matters because the Egyptian society is built on agriculture. So now we're not just talking about a bug that's an annoyance, okay? We're talking about the stability of the people. So what you're saying is everything that we use to trade has the potential of being taken from us. You're saying my livelihood. You're saying my ability to provide. You're saying my stability has the potential of being rocked, being taken, being stolen from us. And so now you see 
the people finally are saying, hold on, you're starting to get our attention. I mean, there's only two, two things that really allow this economy to be stable. You've got agriculture, which are the crops, and then you've got labor, which are the slaves. And now Moses is threatening to take both of them. So it's almost one of these, this strong armed argument, which is like, hey, you can lose one. Let the slaves go. Keep your money. Keep your agriculture. Keep your society. Or you can lose both. What's it going to be? I mean, today it would be like for us, it would be like one of you guys saying that there's a new virus that's going to cripple anything that's computer oriented. Like, what would that mean for our society if all computers in every facet of life shut down? Some of y'all getting worried about your phone now. <laughs> I mean, that, that essentially is what's being said here. That's the type of threat that's coming forth from Moses as they say, we're going to send the locusts. So how do they respond when they think about the potential collapse of their society? Verse 7 says, then Pharaoh's servant said to him, how long shall this man be a snare to us? Let the men go that they may serve the Lord their God. Do you not understand that Egypt is in ruin? That Egypt is ruined? Excuse me. Do you not understand that Egypt is ruined? A snare. All right. Get, 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 the, get that visual image that sometimes you see on Bugs Bunny where it's like this giant trap, all right? You got like sharp uh, objects on both sides, and in the middle, there's a lever. As soon as you step on the lever, the trap catches and sinks its teeth into the flesh of whatever stepped on it. That's the image that you're getting when they're saying now, this Moses guy has entrapped us. He's not letting us go, okay? We are caught into a trap that he set and his God is the one who is almighty and powerful and we can't be set free. So would you do what he's asking? But isn't that ironic? Isn't it ironic that the people who are enforcing slavery are saying, now we're the ones caught in a trap. You gotta be careful. Be careful. This is just a a, a, a pastor's nugget. Be careful of people who always make themselves the victim. Watch out for individuals who, who the, 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 stacks are, the, the cards are always stacked against them. See, even the Egyptians here have a warped view of themselves. They see themselves now as the persecuted. They see themselves as the persecuted. But but then we have uh, in verse eight. So then Moses says this. He says, uh, he says, and he said to them, go serve the Lord your God. But which ones are to go? Moses said, we will go with our young and our old. We will go with our sons and our daughters and with our flocks and herds, for we must hold a feast to the Lord. We must hold a feast to the Lord. It's interesting because we have we have constantly God saying to Pharaoh, let my people go. I want you to let my people go. When you think people, you don't just think kids. When you think people, you don't just think the women. When you think people, you don't just think the men. 
People usually means everybody. But notice Pharaoh trying to negotiate. He's trying to negotiate just a sliver. Now, just, just to be fair to Pharaoh, their styles of worship was different than the Hebrews. See, Pharaoh, they only worship, only the men went to go worship. Children and women were not allowed to go worship. But that's not the case for the people of Israel. And though we haven't had the law stated yet, actually, and that'll come forth in Deuteronomy, but, but we have, um, but what is expected of the people of God is that men, women, and children will all go worship together. Men will be the ones required to present the sacrifice, but the entire family is to go. But, but, but you got to understand like what he's trying to negotiate. I mean, imagine if I negotiated with you, and this, this will sound crazy, but imagine if I said, um, hey, look, Sam, you know, uh, I want to set you free, man, but to be honest, like, I still need your feet. So would you mind leaving your feet and your hands, because I, I need those, but the rest of you can go. I mean, that, that's essentially what he's saying. He's saying, like, hey, the men can go, but the kids and women can still be in slavery. I still want them in bondage, but the men can go. No, this, 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 this isn't a negotiation. <laughs> Let my people go. But I, but I do think that, uh, I do think Pharaoh tries to respond. But it's not a response of obedience. It's not, okay, I'm going to let all the people go. He actually responds in a, in a way that's disobedient. And I wanted to, to help us understand some of the different ways in which we respond in disobedience. So there's, there's four ways that I could think of. I'm sure that there are more. Feel free to add yours up here if it's not listed. But, but we, at times, can respond in disobedience by covering things up. Can, can choose to hide our wrongs, you know? As long as nobody else knows what God is telling me, uh, hey, I'll just take that consequence, Lord. You, you're, you're asking me to go share my faith. No, I won't do it. Hey, I just got to take being disobedient. Or you're asking me to, 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 to do this thing, whatever it might be. Does what's her name know? She doesn't? Great. I'll just take the consequence. So we cover it up. We hide it. Or partial obedience, where we respond, but not to the degree that we should, or not, not to the full extent of what is expected of us. You know? This was, that was my favorite when I was a kid, you know? Son, can you go clean up the kitchen? Sure. Clean up one dish. Then I leave, you know? Not actually doing what, what it really means. And a lot of the parents in, there in here are shaking their head like, yeah. <laughs> you know, not really going to the full extent of what's expected of me. But I, I wasn't totally disobedient. I kind of did it, you know? Blame shifting, putting, putting the, the issue on someone else. Saying, yeah, God, I know what you told me, but they stopped me. This other person hinders me from being able to be who God's called me to be. If they weren't there, I'd be good. Or simply just ignoring, acting as if we didn't hear from God at all. Which one do you guys think Pharaoh did in this instance? We can talk here. No, it's not rhetorical. Which one do you think Pharaoh did? Ignored, somebody said. Partial. Partial. Yeah. 
I think I err on the side of partial. I mean, he did say he would let some experience the freedom, but not everybody, like God called them to, you know? But the question is, which, which do we tend to lean towards, you know? Which, which can we be inclined towards? God's calling us to, to do something. He says, you know, I want you to care for the poor. And we say, but wait, you know how the poor use their money and they abuse stuff and look how they're using their rent, rent checks and da, da 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 Wait, I didn't ask you about them. I called you to care for the poor. You know, we, 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 we can sometimes say, you know, well, I'm called to forgive somebody. But God, if you saw what they did against me, you would know I don't really need to fully forgive them. Because you didn't see how bad they did that thing that they did against me. Did you see it? Because if you saw it, you wouldn't ask me to forgive them fully. Right? Blame shifting. And then some of us in the room can, can be lifelong Detroiters or just moved here yesterday. And, and, we, and we put our clout in being here. But just being here, you can be physically present and your heart not be sold out for living for Christ in the way he desires you to. Partial obedience. Family, let us not be so quick to judge Pharaoh. Some of these can be our defaults as well. So then we jump to verse 12 where it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the land of Egypt for the locusts. So so that they may come upon the land of Egypt and eat every plant in the land and all that the hail has left. So Moses, he goes out, he stretched his hand out over it. So Moses stretched out his staff over the land of Egypt and the Lord brought an east wind upon the land all that day and all that night. I'm going to move down to verse 15. They covered the face of the whole land so that the land was darkened and they ate all the plants in the land and all the fruit trees and all the fruit of the trees that the hail had left. This is basically a, a, a combo punch, if you will. You know, in boxing, they kind of say, like, you set up. So, or uh, for those that don't know what boxing is, like you, you, you setting up a person for the big hook, all right? So the, first you had hail, and hail wiped away a lot of the crops, all right? A lot of the crops are now gone. Some people even died in the hailstorm. But now anything is left, the locusts are coming to take. So if you thought that you were going to still be able to get over using, your, using your, your way of life, continuing in that same cycle of comfort, it's just been shattered. I mean, imagine if you today, imagine if I asked you guys, if I said, guess what? Tomorrow, I'm taking away all electricity. I'm also going to take away all gas. Oh, you like water? Taking that too. I mean, your, your entire like, way of life would, would change drastically. In essence, that is what's happening as these locusts are coming. And this God is cont- continually banging on the door saying, people of Egypt, what are you putting your stability in? Whatever it is, I'm going to cripple it. I'm trying to get your attention. Don't you see that I am the Lord of all? 
So even as we see the, the, these Egyptians saying, hey, Pharaoh, would you turn and listen and do what they're saying? They're not saying it because they want to worship a holy God. They're saying it because they want to avoid pain. But God's trying to get their hearts. And then in verse 16, then Pharaoh hastily called Moses and Aaron and said, I've sinned against the Lord your God and against you. Now, therefore, forgive my sin. Please, only this once, and plead with the Lord your God only to remove this death from me. Pharaoh says he sinned against the Lord. But in what way? How many of you in here have uh, either have children or babysat a child before? Good, good number of folks. You ever had a situation where a, a child walks into a room and they say, I'm sorry. <laughs> What's the next question you ask? Sorry for what? Exactly. <laughs> See, a, a general apology is not enough. You know, simply, and, and what Pharaoh's doing here, he's saying, I'm sorry that I didn't let the people go. He's saying, I'm sorry that that I sinned against you because, Moses, you came to me and asked me to do something, and I didn't do it. And your God asked you to bring the message to me, and I didn't listen. He's not saying, man, I'm sorry for having a heart that's rejected a holy God. You see the difference? Where you want to apologize for an act all right. It's like if somebody comes to you and says, man, like, I'm sorry that I stole your bike, <laughs> but I don't care about your feelings. You know, I'm sorry I lied to you. But who cares that you were hurt? You know, you, repentance, a true apology, not only identifies the act, but it also identifies the hurt that your action has caused. That's not Pharaoh's posture. That's not his posture at all. And so he, he says, remove this death from me. It's interesting because uh, death in their environment is like just, it's the unfathomable punishment. You know, it's like the worst thing that they can imagine. It's like, it's like torture to the nth degree. But little does Pharaoh know, each of these uh, plagues that is happening is moving closer and closer to death. And that is, that is truly the, the illustration, it's truly the example, it's truly the, the uh, motif that's painted for all sin. You see, Romans 6.23 says this. It says, uh, at least at the beginning, that first part of that passage, it says, for the wages of sin is death. All right? Which basically means, if you are not loving Christ, you are slowly making deposits towards an experience of death. Some, some deposits are immediate, okay? You, you, can, you cannot love Jesus and do something that immediately brings forth a pain that, is, that can lead you to death, whether it be a, a, a STD, whether there's a number of things that can happen that in a heartbeat can, can lead you towards death. But the Bible speaks of all sin contributing towards that. So even your lying, even your arrogance, even your pride, 
can subtly be making deposits towards an end result, which is death. For the wages of sin are death. And so Pharaoh doesn't realize that what he's asking for be removed from him is actually where his heart is leading an entire generation of people. And so we go to verse 21. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward heaven that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt. Oh, excuse me. Wait, wait, wait. Let me finish. My, uh, let me finish, uh, excuse me, verse 17. Now, therefore, uh, forgive my sin, please, only this, and plead with your God, uh, plead with your Lord, your God only, to remove this death from me. So he went out from Pharaoh and pleaded with the Lord, and the Lord turned the wind into a very strong west wind, which lifted the locusts and drove them into the Red Sea. Not a single locust was left in all the country of Egypt, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the people go. Again, he, he, he gets what he wants. And his heart's hardened. And again, he doesn't let the people go. So stability. If your entire economy is going to break down, if your people, your people who are now saying, hey, we, we were ride or die. Whatever you said, Pharaoh, we worshiped you as a god. We would do what you said. We had your back. Now... <laughs> We're actually telling you to do something different. If your people turn on you and ask you to do something different, would that be enough to get your attention? Let's move to the next instance to see, is there anything else within the creation that, that can be made unstable that would, that would shake Pharaoh to wake up to this holy God? Verse 21, then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward heaven that there may be darkness over the land, a darkness to be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven and there was pitch darkness in all the land of, of Egypt three days. They did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. But all the people of Israel had light where they lived. Then Pharaoh called Moses and said, go, serve the Lord. Your little ones also may go with you. Only let your flocks and your herds remain behind. It's crazy. It's crazy. We, we've, we're going to make this entire nation dark. And Pharaoh's still trying to negotiate. He's still saying, okay, Sam, you need your hands and your feet. I'll give you your hands, but I still need your feet. What, what type of arrogance? What type of hardened heart? both by himself and by God, would, would allow him to still think he's in a position of authority. You pretty much have nothing anymore. Your land is gone. The people are turning on you. Yet and still, he thinks he has authority. But, you, but, but, but darkness is one of those things that plagued their society. I mean, people didn't go out at night. We have the luxuries. You got flashlights, got the cell phone flashlight. You just hook it up when you're in the dark. Headlights on your car, you know, all these different things. But daily, there's a true darkness that exists when you don't have these lights. And I'm a city boy. I, they took the city boy out into the woods one time. I go camping. Now, city boys don't go camping that often, so I was really scared. It's crazy because, you know, I hear sirens. I can even hear gunshots, and I don't even think anything. 
I hear like a little something going over there in the bushes. Boys, grown man was like a kid. So I'm out in the woods. And I'm in the woods and I'm like, oh, the moon actually has a purpose. It gives light like the moon. I I never really thought much about the moon until I went out into the woods. I'm like, man, it's lighting up everything. (laughs) Then a cloud came. (laughs) That was the first time I really think I experienced darkness where like you can't see anything. I'm like, you know, like you can't see anything. That's the type of darkness that had set over the people. And at night in Egypt, you wouldn't go out because either the only people who were out were those that preyed upon people that happened to be leaving their home at night. So it was it was thieves. It was robbers. It was killers and murderers. They had those in Egypt, too. And we, we know what that's like living in, in the deed today. Not too often. I catch a couple of y'all just walking down Mac at 2 a.m. Crazy. Right. But then if it wasn't them. It was predators. It was animals that actually could see at night. And so they would prey upon people. And so it wasn't uncommon for you to go out. You might not come back at night. And so now God brings forth this darkness upon the land and you are pretty much confined to your own home. There's something even within us wired naturally that that as sure as I'm born, there's going to be a day where I die. For the most part, you can say the same about daylight and night. Usually when I wake up, it's going to be light out. And when I go to sleep, it's going to be dark. Imagine three days of total darkness. You would start questioning some things. Okay, what does this mean for our food? Our food needs light. What what does this mean for uh, me being able to communicate with the rest of our community? Is this going to last forever? Okay, maybe it's going to last for three hours. Three hours go by. Ten hours go by. Two days go by. I mean, can you imagine the paranoia that would begin to start setting in? And then you look across the way and you see the people of God and they got light. It's light over there. Wouldn't that break your heart to say, man, we need to be worshiping that God. Look at the control that he has to place us in darkness or to put us into light. Friends, if you are a person that that is trying to wrestle with, is this God really the one true God? Should I give my life over to Jesus? I, I want to say that, that, that you are, in essence, until you say, I want to submit my life to Jesus, you're just taking shots in the dark of how to live. Dennis, you had a question. That's a good question. He said, why didn't Egyptians just walk on over into the light? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I think physically, I definitely don't know. I think what it, what it, the imagery that we get, though, is that Jesus wanted that. God wanted that, but he wanted it to be a heart transformation. Don't just come over to get the light so you can see what's going on. Actually come over transformed and renewed and made whole and submitting to a holy God. 
we, it's interesting, and this is one I still want to do a lot, I want to do a lot of, I want to do more study on, because we get a clear picture into the heart of Pharaoh. But, but I, don't, I don't see the Bible saying that he made all Egyptians' hearts as hard as Pharaoh. As if people could, could have left that culture, you know? As if people could have at that time said, man, forget Pharaoh, I'm willing to take death, but this God is real, I'm going to go worship him. I still want to do more research on that. But what we do know is that God changes what is so predictable, so stable, night and day, to help them see that he is in control. So how does this Pharaoh respond? Trying to let him take only some flocks. And then Moses says, you must also let us sacrifice uh, and burnt offerings that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. And in verse 26, our livestock also must go with us. Not a hoof shall be left behind, uh, for we must take of them to serve the Lord our God. We do not know what we must serve. We do not know with what we must serve the Lord until we arrive there. So Moses said, I want to be equipped to do whatever God calls of us with all of our people. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let them go. Then Pharaoh said to him, get away from me. Take care never to see my face again. For on the day you see my face, you shall die. And Moses said, as you say, I will not see your face again. It's interesting because uh, Pharaoh does give a response. You know, his response is to 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 get Moses out of his presence. Okay, you want to you don't want to listen. You don't want to do what I'm asking. Then get out of here. And if I ever see you again, I'm going to kill you. But we have we have a phrase for that that kind of thinking. Okay, we have a phrase because what he's essentially saying is, okay, Moses, you keep presenting to me an opportunity to serve this God. I don't want to do it. But the real drama that's happening here is every time you come talk to me, one of these plagues keeps happening. All right. So if I don't let you come talk to me or if I kill you, no more plagues is going to happen. That the phrase that we use for that is out of sight, out of mind. You know, if I just don't deal with the problem, be all right. If I just ignore it, if I just don't see it, it'll be all right. But is that a healthy way with dealing with things, dealing with things? Not at all. It's just it's you, all you're doing is prolonging the inevitable. And so now we see that that while Pharaoh tries to banish Moses, uh, he's just continuing to allow each plague to knock at his door with a louder sound, a louder knock each time saying, will you acknowledge me as the one true God? You know, I put up that Romans 6 verse uh, earlier, 623, where it said, for the wages of sin is death. But then there's a continued part of that verse that says, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, when we sin, we are contributing towards, we are earning up deposits towards our death when we don't know Christ, okay? When you don't know Christ, your best aims are leading towards a final end, a final outcome 
which is death. And death is to be separated from a holy God. That's what death is. But see, we don't get to earn Christ, okay? Actually, Christ gives the free gift of himself and says, I want to give you something that, is, that, that, is, that death can't even compare to. I want to give you eternal life. So now, would you accept this gift freely? You can't earn it. Your works won't guarantee it. My blood is what guarantees it. Will you receive this gift? So our hope and our prayer here at MacAv is that, is that we would be a people that, that realize, man, like, yeah, there's a lot of stability in our world. There's a lot of things that, that allow us to have our, our, our peace and our comforts and can help us be able to experience life and life to the full. But life is not abundant unless it's rooted in God. And even for us, our societies, we've seen great depressions. We've seen uh, um, housing busts. We've seen people lose jobs at alarming rates. Would it cripple your faith? Would, would your whole foundation be rocked if tomorrow they cut off the water? Yeah, and we're having situations like that today, huh? If, if electricity and heat were gone, I'd like to stand up here and, and, you know, act as if I'd be cool. Yeah, I'll take it. But what, but, what, but what God wants us all to do is see he wants us to, one, be able to tell for generations about the beauty of who he is. But also see, man, he's in control of all creation. And in the blink of an eye, the things that we think are stable could crumble. But we still find our hope in him. But we still be reminded of this great free gift that he's given to us in eternal salvation. So I ask, uh, will you accept the free gift that he offers? All right? If you, if you are not walking today with Christ, will you accept that gift? But if you are walking with Christ, then I ask that you would choose repentance so that in all situations, Christ may be your light in the midst of darkness. Let that be our posture, people as we continue to live out God's kingdom call. Will you pray with me? Lord, we are, uh, we sometimes can write Pharaoh off because uh, you had your hand on his heart. But Lord, let our arrogance not fool us into thinking that there are times when we can be just like Pharaoh and ignore your voice. Let us be obedient. Father, we don't want to blame shift. We don't want to ignore. We don't even want to do partial obedience. We want to be fully obedient to what you would ask of us. It's in your holy name we pray, Jesus.